We have come to Ezekiel chapter 12. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn together to chapter 12. I'm going to read the verses 1 through 20. Enactment prophecies Judah carried into captivity. Ezekiel chapter 12. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, Son of man, Prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight, you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am a sign to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine and from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 17, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread, with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste 
and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So far, the reading of God's holy word. I wonder if the prophet Ezekiel was called to one of our churches, do you think it might end up an Article 11 situation? What's Article 11? As some of you may know, it's the article in our church order that makes provision for a church and its pastor to part ways when for weighty reasons and in exceptional circumstances, a pastoral relationship has been deemed irreconcilably broken. Article 11 is used not because the minister has been unfaithful in his calling or fallen into sin, but because the relationship between the pastor and his elders and congregation has deteriorated to the point that it is believed is no longer able to function fruitfully in their midst. Strife has developed, efforts to resolve the situation have failed, advice from other churches has not borne the desired fruit, and people begin to say, something must change. After a painful process, the conclusion is reached the relationship will be terminated, Article 11. If Ezekiel was called to one of our churches, do you think people would begin to say, I don't really like his preaching. It's so dark and negative. He's always talking about judgment. He rarely says a positive word about us. Can't he be a little more upbeat and agreeable? Brothers and sisters, I don't know how Ezekiel's preaching would be received in our churches, but it wasn't very well received by the majority of the captives in Babylon. Just to refresh your memory, when Ezekiel was 25, he was taken into captivity. In the year 597, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies besieged Jerusalem. King Jehoiachin surrendered, and he, along with a group of captives, was led to Babylon. Ezekiel was among the captives. After spending five years by the river Chebar, the Lord revealed himself to Ezekiel in a glorious vision, and he was called as a prophet to the captives. His task was not an easy one. The Lord told him to prophesy to a stubborn and rebellious house. Chapters 8 through 11 we saw how the Spirit transported him in a visionary way back to Jerusalem. God gave him a guided tour of the temple, showing him that it was filled with abominations. Because of these abominations, Ezekiel saw the Lord send horrific judgments upon the city. And worse yet, worse yet, he saw the departure of the glory of God. The cherubim lifted up their wings, and God's chariot throne took off from the temple, leaving the city desolate. Then, at the end of chapter 11, Ezekiel's vision comes to a close, and he finds himself back in his own house in Babylon in the company of the elders who were with him. God gave him the task of communicating all that he had seen and heard to the captives. That is how chapter 11 concludes. And so chapter 12 begins a new section. His visionary trip to Jerusalem is over, and Ezekiel begins a new phase in his prophetic ministry to the captives. 
Now, in our study of Ezekiel, we have seen that the prophets of the Old Testament were sometimes called upon to act out a prophecy to illustrate an important point. In chapter 4, the Lord told Ezekiel to build a model of Jerusalem under siege. The model represented God's coming judgment upon Judah's capital. Then the Lord told Ezekiel that he had to set up an iron plate between himself and the model. The iron plate between his face and Jerusalem represented an impenetrable barrier between Jerusalem and the Lord. It symbolized God's covenant curse. His face was firmly set against Jerusalem. Moreover, the Lord also told Ezekiel that he had to lie on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days. Over the course of 14 months, all who passed by and saw him lying on his side were reminded of the weight of God's judgment upon Israel and Judah. During this 14-month period, Ezekiel could only eat and drink very small portions, just barely enough to survive on. His meager diet symbolized what would happen to the inhabitants of Jerusalem when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar would besiege the city. There would be terrible suffering and starvation. Then in chapter 5, we saw another enactment prophecy. Ezekiel had to take a sharp sword and shave off his hair and beard. The sword represented the sharp sword of the Lord. The hair of his head and beard represented the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Ezekiel had to divide the hair into three heaps. He had to burn one, chop up the second with a sword, and toss the third pile into the air to be carried away by the wind. Only a few strands of the hair were preserved in the fold of his garment. The three piles represented the various ways that the inhabitants of the city would be treated. Many would perish. The few hairs that were tucked into the fold of Ezekiel's garment symbolized the few survivors who would remain in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's baldness symbolized the empty, bare city. Well, now today, we come to the 12th chapter. As we come here, we see another enactment prophecy that Ezekiel was called to perform. It depicted Judah being carried away into captivity. I want us to consider the assignment in verses 1 through 7, the interpretation in verses 8 through 16, the assignment again in verses 17 and 18, and the interpretation in verses 19 and 20. Assignment, interpretation, Assignment, interpretation. We'll spend the bulk of our time on points one and two. We read in verse one that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word that came to him was a reminder of the spiritual condition of the people of God. Read along with me, please, at verse two. Verse two. Son of man... You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. 
God's evaluation of Judah was that they were blind to the things of God and not willing to hear and obey his word. They were willfully blind and willfully deaf. Now, congregation, to be physically blind must be a terrible thing. You're not able to see the beauty of creation, not able to enjoy all the colors and spectacular scenery. You live in perpetual darkness. To be physically deaf must also be a terrible thing. You cannot hear singing, beautiful music, the sounds of creation. Neither can you hear the voices of those you love. You live in perpetual stillness. To be both blind and deaf is worse still. None of us would choose such a condition to live in perpetual darkness and silence. But brothers and sisters, as terrible as that may be, it is far more dreadful to be spiritually blind and deaf. You cannot see the beauty of God or the glory and majesty of Christ, cannot see His grace, faithfulness, compassion, and love for sinners. Those who are spiritually deaf cannot hear His word, His law, or His gospel promises. They cannot hear his message of salvation in Jesus, the good news. How many of us would choose to live in physical darkness and absolute silence? None of us. None of us. And yet, there are those who willfully choose to live in spiritual darkness and silence. Is that true of any of you? Is that true of any of you? Are any of you willfully blind and deaf? In the days of the prophet Ezekiel, they had God's word and his gospel promises. They were in a covenant relationship with him, but they chose to live in darkness and silence. Their blindness and deafness are a warning to every church member today. It's a warning not to turn away from the Word of God and the gospel of Christ. It's a warning not to reject the message of grace, not to close our eyes and plug our ears to the message of salvation. We must receive with thanksgiving the Word of grace, believe it, and live by it. Judah had failed to do so. In Psalm 115, maybe your mind is going there right now. In Psalm 115, we read of idols who have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Blind and deaf. And then the psalmist says, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. You see, Judah was just as blind and deaf as their idols. Therefore, the Lord sent Ezekiel with a message of judgment. The assignment is recorded in verses 3 through 6. What did he have to do? First, he had to pack his bag as though he was about to make a journey. Verse 3 says, therefore, verse 3, Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. 
Verse 4 indicates that these preparations were to take place in public, probably in front of his house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity. In the sight of the people, Ezekiel prepared a bag containing the basic necessities, some clothes and food, perhaps a blanket, a few small personal items, and possibly some cooking implements. Second, when evening came, he was to take his bag and depart as though he was going into captivity. In the course of his departure, he had to dig through the wall. Now, we're not told if this was the wall of his house or the wall of his courtyard or perhaps the wall that surrounded the community. At any rate, he was to loosen the bricks in a portion of the wall, make a hole, and crawl through. He was to do so with an audience watching. Then thirdly, having packed his bag and dug a hole through the wall, he was to depart with his face covered so that he could not see the ground. Look with me to verse 6. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. Ezekiel was to disappear from the sight of the crowd, stumbling in the darkness with a pack on his shoulders and his eyes covered. By now, the people were somewhat accustomed to his eccentric ways. They knew that his actions were intended to communicate a message. His departure through the wall with his pack on his shoulders and eyes covered was a, a visual message to the people. No doubt there was much discussion and reflection that evening after he disappeared into the darkness. What does this mean? What's he trying to communicate? What does this say about our future? Does this mean that we will be able to return to Jerusalem? Does it mean that we'll be able to travel to our homeland? Will our days of exile by the river Chebar soon be over? Brothers and sisters, if this was their interpretation of Ezekiel's conduct, then their optimism was crushed the following morning. When daylight came, the prophet shared with them the true meaning of what he had done. By the revelation of God, he gave them the correct interpretation, which is point number two, the interpretation. Let's go to verses 8 through 11. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden or this prophecy concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Verse 11, Say, I am a sign to you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. When the people asked Ezekiel, what are you doing? Ezekiel had to tell them that his actions were a sign of what would happen to the prince in Jerusalem and the remaining inhabitants of the city. Now, who is the prince in Jerusalem? It is King Zedekiah. When Ezekiel was brought to Babylon in 597, Jehoiachin was ruling in Jerusalem. He had only been on the throne for three months when Nebuchadnezzar came up to Jerusalem. Jehoiachin surrendered, was made a prisoner, and was led off to Babylon where he spent the rest of his life. 
In place of Jehoiachin, Nebuchadnezzar appointed the third son of Josiah as king. His name was Mataniah, but Nebuchadnezzar changed it to Zedekiah. Zedekiah reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. As long as he submitted to Babylonian policies, Jerusalem lived in peace. However, when Zedekiah decided to rebel, Nebuchadnezzar came up to Jerusalem and besieged the city. So, the prince in Jerusalem, referred to there in verse 10, is a reference to this king, Zedekiah. Ezekiel's prophecy revealed the fact that both the king and the people of Jerusalem would be taken as prisoners. The sad fulfillment of this is recorded in 2 Kings 25. During the siege of Jerusalem, what happened? What happened? King Zedekiah tried to escape during the night. He departed from Jerusalem through a hole in the wall and fled by way of the Jordan Valley. But the army of Nebuchadnezzar pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. The temple was destroyed, the houses of Jerusalem were broken down, and most of those who remained alive in Jerusalem after the siege were carried into captivity. Only a few poor farmers and vine dressers were left behind. Zedekiah, the prince in Jerusalem, was utterly humiliated. He was led to Babylon, bound, blind, and defeated. And after a time in prison, he died in Babylon. Congregation, it was this sad series of events that Ezekiel revealed to the captives of Judah approximately four years before the fact. Look with me to verses 12 and 13. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Ezekiel predicted Zedekiah's flight from Jerusalem, his escape through the wall, his capture, exile, blindness, and death in Babylon. Everything, everything that Ezekiel predicted was accurately fulfilled. During his flight from Jerusalem, Zedekiah covered his face so that he would not be recognized, but it was to no avail. He was captured, bound, blinded, and imprisoned. He who sat on the throne of David, he who was honored as the prince in Jerusalem, he who ruled over the covenant people of God, was humiliated, punished, and imprisoned. Now, congregation, as we consider Ezekiel's prophecy and its fulfillment, there's a few things that we do well to ponder. First, The defeat of Jerusalem and her king, the deportation to Babylon, and the blinding of Zedekiah was all the direct result of Judah's spiritual blindness. The direct result of Judah's spiritual blindness. 
God's evaluation of Zedekiah in 2 Kings 24 was that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeremiah 52 says the same thing. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. The people of Judah were a corrupt people led by a corrupt king. They were covenant breakers who insulted the Lord of the covenant. The physical blindness of Zedekiah was a fitting symbol of the nation's spiritual blindness. The king of Judah being led to Babylon in darkness was a fitting symbol of the nation's spiritual darkness. They had the light of Scripture, but they did not live by the Scriptures. They dwelt in the darkness of sin, just like their idols. They had eyes, but they did not see. Brothers and sisters, isn't this the very criticism that Jesus had of the nation of Israel of his day? What did he say in Matthew chapter 13? Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Why? Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In Mark 8, verse 18, Jesus said, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? During his earthly ministry, Jesus made the blind to see. As he healed the blind, he was declaring the need for spiritual sight, their need to be delivered from spiritual darkness. Physical eyesight is important to function in a normal capacity, but brothers and sisters, spiritual eyesight is far more important. To live in a right relationship with God, you must have eyes to see. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 13, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Dear friends, if you're trusting Christ, if you're reading and applying His Word in your life, if you're continually repenting of your sin and seeking His pardoning grace, then I say to you, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you long to live your life for the glory of God, if you desire to see the sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life, then I say to you, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. If you're fighting the good fight of faith, if you're resisting the works of the evil one and the powers of darkness, then I say to you, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. But if there's anyone in our midst today who's willfully blind, if you're closing your eyes to the truth of God or plugging your ears to His revelation or simply ignoring what God has to say, if you are just like the idols you serve, then I declare to you that unless you repent, you will find yourself under the judgment of God. The tragedy of Jerusalem was the direct result of Judah's spiritual blindness. 
Second, we also note from our text that while it was Nebuchadnezzar who defeated Jerusalem, captured her king, and carried the inhabitants of the city to Babylon, the ultimate destroyer of Jerusalem was God. The ultimate destroyer of Jerusalem was God. Look again at verse 13. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Verse 14, I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. You see, congregation, it was not Nebuchadnezzar who destroyed Jerusalem. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was not Nebuchadnezzar who captured Zedekiah. It was the Lord. I will spread my net over him. By rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, Zedekiah invited his wrath to fall upon him. But behind it all was the sovereign power of Almighty God. Dear friends, when we experience trials and difficulties in our life or when we experience tragedy, wouldn't it be helpful to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me? What is He communicating through this? What is He accomplishing? We need to remember that behind the actions of men is the sovereign plan and power of God. Third, we also note from our text that the warnings of God, the warnings of God were with a view to repentance. At the end of verse 3, the Lord said, it may be that they will consider though they are a rebellious house. God said to Ezekiel, perhaps they will consider, perhaps they will understand. The warning of impending judgment was therefore an expression of grace. God was calling His people to embrace the abundant life that is found in Him, to forsake the way of death, and to walk the pathway to life. Brothers and sisters, we should not understand the warnings of Scripture and the warnings in sermons in a negative light, but in a positive light. Warnings are not intended to make us miserable. They're intended to keep us close to our God. The warnings that he gave to the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation 2 and 3 were not designed to crush them, but to lead them in the paths of righteousness. They were given so that the churches could prosper under the blessing of God. They were given by his grace and mercy so that the lampstand would not be removed. Young people, children, never shun the warnings of the Lord and the warnings in sermons. Receive them as an expression of His care for you. And then fourthly, we also notice in our text that the purpose of God's judgments was to declare His Lordship. The purpose of God's judgments was to declare His Lordship. Look, please, to verse 15. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations. The end of verse 16. 
Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The end of verse 20. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Through punishment, discipline, and chastisement, they would come to see that I am the Lord. That was the goal of the captivity. His lordship was to be declared both in Israel and among the Gentiles. Congregation, this is also what the Lord desires today. He wants his people to acknowledge and declare his lordship. He wants the church to confess his lordship. And he wants the nations to declare that he is God and there is no other. And so we see from the first 16 verses of this chapter that Ezekiel had to act out a prophecy which represented the coming exile of Jerusalem. Then as we move on in verses 17 and 18, we find another enactment prophecy that he was called to perform, another assignment, which is point number three, just very briefly. Go to verse 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. With the people watching, Ezekiel was to eat bread and drink water while trembling as if in terror. His hands were to shake. His body was to quiver. His whole appearance was to be, be that of intense fear. We saw in the fourth chapter how the prophet was to live on a starvation diet for a year and two months. He was only allowed to eat a, a cup, eight ounces of food per day, and two cups of water. Why? His restricted diet symbolized the terrible suffering that would come upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem during the coming siege. The food supplies would run short, resulting in a dreadful famine. Because of the suffering that would come upon Jerusalem, the Lord now told Ezekiel to eat his bread with quaking and drink his water with trembling. He had to eat and drink with a fearful appearance. The interpretation of this drama is given in verse 19. Let's read it. Verse 19. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread, so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Verse 20. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste, and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel had the unpleasant task of proclaiming the destruction of Jerusalem. With the Babylonian army surrounding the city, the people would eat their meager rations with anxiety and dread. They would experience the terror of God's covenant curse. They would eat their last meals, trembling in anticipation of the city's doom. And then finally, they would be led off to Babylon, leaving the land desolate. Brothers and sisters, 
In these enactment prophecies of Ezekiel, we are reminded of the holy and righteous judgments of God. The Lord cannot and will not ignore sin. Unlike the people and unlike their gods, he is not blind and deaf. Because the nation of Judah departed from his word, ignored his gospel promises, and lived in sin, they were severely dealt with. The severity of their punishment reminds us that all who remain spiritually blind and deaf will one day experience the indescribable terror of the Lord. God's judgment upon Judah should cause us all to ponder the greater judgment that is coming. Each one of you will one day stand before this God. You will be summoned before his throne to give an account before him. The question for you to consider today is this, will it be a day of trembling and fear and anxiety or will it be a day of trembling with joy and worship? Will it be a day of sorrow or a day of gladness, celebration or condemnation? The answer is rather simple. Those who have eyes to see their need of Jesus and ears to hear his saving word those who forsake their sin, walk in the light, and find refuge in the cross, for you, it will be a day of celebration. But for you who harden your heart, as did King Zedekiah, for you who resist the gospel and stubbornly oppose the word, as did many in Judah, for you, it will be a day of quaking, trembling, and inconsolable anxiety. So I ask you today, do you have eyes that see? Do you have eyes that see? Do you have ears that hear? Do you have a heart that understands and believes the things of God? If you do, then you are truly blessed. For all the privileges of eternal life through Christ belong to you. You need not fear the judgment and wrath of God. You need not fear the punishment of the ungodly and the curse of the Lord. Congregation, the people of Judah had the answer. Moses and the prophets gave them the answer. The symbolism of the temple gave them the answer. The answer was Jesus Christ, God's promised Messiah. But the Lord said, that they were a rebellious house. They forfeited the great blessings of their covenant God. May that never be said of any of you here today. You have the answer. Moses gives you the answer. The prophets give you the answer. The apostles give you the answer. You have it in the Old Testament. You have it in the New Testament. The answer is Jesus. He came to deliver you from the captivity of sin. He bore the judgment so that you may have life. 
He faced the anger of God so that you may have peace. And don't close your eyes to him. Don't plug your ears. Instead, rejoice in his pardoning grace and live the life that he calls you to live. Live by his word. Live for his honor. Live out of gratitude for his grace. Give yourself to him. He's a wonderful Savior. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that Moses and the prophets revealed the promise of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all the symbolism that we looked at this morning, all proclaiming the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the apostles and the written revelation they left behind, giving us the answer to our dilemma. May each one here fully embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, by nature, we too are stubborn and rebellious. We need your work within us so that, Lord, we would not live in willful blindness, deafness. We pray that we may walk in the light, that we may hear your voice, that we may see the beauty and majesty of Christ. Lord, that we may hear those wonderful words also today, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears, for they hear. Bring us all, each and every one here this afternoon, into that eternal kingdom, the kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace. Pray that none of us here would rebel against your will. Close our eyes and plug our ears to the message of the gospel. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in your mercy we may all one day, at that day of judgment, be filled with that overwhelming joy that we may, instead of trembling in terror, tremble with joy at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So receive our praises as we conclude this service. May we consider each one of us that wonderful Savior who alone can rescue us from the judgment. In his name we pray, amen.